0: This is episode 89, Life in Quarantine with Gail Merrifield. Hey everyone, so welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. It's Maria here and Deb is not here because she's busy moving into yet again another new apartment. But we have Gail Merrifield on the line. Hi, Gail.
1: Hello, Maria.
0: (laughs) See, see.
1: I'm so used to Deb
0: being there. I know, right? She's here in spirit. I texted her. I was like, we're going to have the interview now. And she's definitely super busy moving and still working. I don't know how she does it all.
1: Understood. Mm.
0: Yes. So I'm having kombucha tea because I'm doing this thing. I don't know why I do these things sometimes. Just like a detox. I told myself no alcohol for the the whole month of march and i've been sticking to it even during this quarantine time so i have a kombucha tea it's called rose bubbly and i paired it with cheese cheddar cheese inside this baked potato so it was actually my boyfriend's idea to add this cheese in Mm -hmm. the center of the potato so you know i can't even take credit for that so i have cheddar cheese and kombucha tea and definitely drink the kombucha
1: tea i'm very much a fan of it. Well, I've been drinking a lot of kombucha tea, um, but that's not what I have tonight. What do you have tonight? Tell us. I have. have this nice Bordeaux called Chateau Nico. Okay. Is
0: 2016.
1: That yeah, it's French. Okay. And, um, it's good. It's very, very nice. And since I already had dinner, I have some Thin mint Girl Scout cookies. Wow, those Cook- are like hot commodities. Well, and those are the last four in the house, so. Wow, You're they're really- mine for for this recording. And oh, gosh, I feel so special. You like? You are, them. you are, and the, uh, you know, chocolate and red wine are a good match.
0: Antioxidants so- too. Mhm.
1: Uh-huh. So cheers, Gail. Cheers, Maria. Cheers to what?
0: Wish cheers being quarantined. Cheers to another day surviving the quarantine. There you go I like that. Cheers I'll definitely drink to that. All right. Awesome So we want to get to know you a little bit more for the listeners So I know you very well Gail but not everyone knows you as well but so Gail Merrifield you've been an SLP for almost 42 years She graduated from Fairmount State University, Fairmount College but now it's called University in West Virginia with your undergrad degree in speech, theater, and English. And you knew almost immediately that you didn't want to be a high school teacher. And after a few years of sorting out your life, you finally figured you want to study speech language pathology at the University of Georgia, where you earned your master's degree in 1978. And you've worked everywhere from public school, special needs preschool, early intervention, a private practice. And fast forward to right now, you're consulting, mentoring, and teaching. Okay, I feel like I need a snack after just all that information. That's a lot of information, Gail. You have done a lot. So, first no. question. <laughs> yes. What was it like studying speech pathology in the late 70s? Um,
1: well, I'm
0: going to have my. I didn't brain. have anything
1: to compare it to. So, um, it was. The programs then were a little more clearly divided between the universities that focused more on educational programs. Mm -hmm. I mean, training to work in educational settings and medical people who are gonna go work in the hospitals. Um, Not that you weren't trained to do both things, but there was just, uh, for example, the University of Georgia as a you know, a state school was, uh, you know, kind of had the mandate to prepare clinicians to primarily go work in the schools.
0: Mm-hmm. So primarily. you
1: chose that, but you well, I mean, that was kind of the. Tr- I didn't have, I I didn't have lots of choices at the time about right. looking all over the country. No, it was living fifty miles away. It was a program that. I could go to, I could get into it. I guess um, more, you know, the the programming was a lot, the scope of practice was narrower.
0: Right, so you had less and, options.
1: So there were fewer options, and right. there was less to be trained in.
0: Mm-hmm. So there even was the coursework.
1: It, right, you know, I mean, not that many, only a few programs at that point were, even doing very much with swallowing, Mm. um, or feeding. And, you know, for a lot of the feeding was being done by occupational therapists. So at least down in the South. Mm -hmm. So there were, you know, there were just things that weren't part of the program. Then the instrumentation, even for even just looking, you know, we had, we had a class on, on the different, oh, instruments that measure things about voice and what have you, but there's, the technology has changed so much. And definitely, even, even the way we learned to do um, hearing screening and, you know, and all those audiology courses that I had also, you know, just the technology was so much simpler then. So there was kind of less to know. Right.
0: um, Research too. The field wasn't as
1: Yes. And it it wasn't as strongly research driven in the way it is now. So there was, you know, but I mean, certainly we, we had, I think the training was really good for what I went out and started doing right away, which was working in the schools. I I think I was well prepared for that. I had really good background in diagnostics and I had had some really good um, Clinical placements. Those during, are during my two years, yeah. yeah and, important, right? And so, I was prepared for where I started, but then everything else I needed to know, I just learned on my own over time.
0: Once you were a clinician, how did you even hear about the major of speech pathology? Because even when I studied speech, which was not that long ago, like about ten years ago, I didn't know about it in high school. Um, I've talked about this on the show, my accountant recommended it. And I was like, what speech pathology. So that was in 2006. So I'm thinking in 1970, where did you even like hear about speech pathology?
1: I didn't know anything about it really, except I did have. In uh, my undergraduate studies. We, we had a survey course in speech therapy, speech correction and we had. So I had the very basic course as an undergraduate. um, We used Van Riper's fifth edition. Wow!
0: It sounds like you're at the right place at the right time.
1: Well, what really happened was I was working for a couple years as a in an office in downtown Atlanta, and I I knew I wasn't going to do that forever, but. I could type and answer phones, and so somebody was willing to pay me to do that. and I was figuring things out. And then um, I got in, I, through, just through a bunch of weird stuff, I ended up uh, getting trained to volunteer, be a reading volunteer mm-hmm. and work with um, adults, illiterate adults who wanted to learn to read and um so i had a couple weekends i had to go be trained and then i started doing that on my lunch hour that, that takes little- commitment
0: so that's when you yeah. feel like you developed the love to like i guess maybe also for languages but helping people helping them communicate
1: um yes you know i mean what happened was i figured out really quickly that that was becoming the best part of my week and i really liked that environment of sitting with an individual and Teaching them something, and I—I I was getting a lot out of it, even though I didn't know that much about what I was doing. So I said to myself, "Well, what's like this but not this?" Right. Because I didn't have a, an interest in learning more about reading, mm-hmm. particularly. You know, I mean, I right. Read, but I, you know, I get I it. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't want to get better at that, but I was like, "Boy, I like what this is." Yes. And so then I went, "Oh." speech therapy would be like this. And, you know, a few years earlier when I'd had that survey course, I thought possibly it was the dumbest career I'd ever heard of. Really?
0: Okay. Yeah. So this, you know, there's a lot
1: to be said for maturity. Yes. And and not making all the decisions in your life when you're about 19 or 20 years old.
0: Definitely Um, not. Do not make (laughs) any major decisions. So, I, I would have just, some 19 or 20 yeah. year olds. They're probably like why? like, why?
1: Exactly. So I, I just, I pulled that textbook out again and started reading it. And it was, it was the most fascinating book. I couldn't put it down. I was like, wow. this is what I want to do. So I was like, where could I go do this? And you know, it was pre-internet. It was well before internet. Oh so, gosh. Where did you um, look
0: that up? Like in the newspaper? Uh,
1: where do you look up Like i don't know um i don't even remember maybe the I, library i don't know i found out there was a program at emory university and in athens at the university of georgia and i um anyway i you just went for I, I just i can't you know i guess i wrote for the catalog or something and oh maybe um, yeah
0: call the school and they mail you uh they mail you something yeah so anyway it's so funny that seems so foreign to us now like how did people fill out applications before the yeah
1: uh, Yeah. by hand and you know and i i took the gre i got a surprisingly good score and um they said I could come, but you know, they said, well, you haven't had the undergraduate work, so you have to do an extra year for, and they were on a quarter system. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I had no, I didn't, I just knew I had to do it. And honestly, from the moment I walked into that program, um, to everything I've done in my career, I never thought it was the wrong step. I'm the same. And the wrong path. And I mean, Sometimes I was not in a position that I needed to be in anymore, mm-hmm. work-wise. But I was always in the right career. Right. So okay. your
0: career, I would say, has come full full circle from you know student to clinician, and then you had your own practice, and now you're consulting, mentoring, and teaching. So you did full a full circle there. So what's Quite a bit like? of stuff? Yeah. yeah quite a bit of stuff what's it like to have a career for four decades that's i don't
1: know i mean i don't know it's just what i did it's just it's um it i'm um, pretty uh connected to it and defined by it i guess and i mean what's interesting is just that i've been able to sustain interest in it and really every time every time a work situation just i've think i felt i had learned what i needed to from it there was a, there was another situation i could go to
0: so and
1: gonna, so that's really for, fortunate i'm going to give the listeners a
0: little background information that you know gail was my mentor for the prompt project and i remember uh you were telling me that this just goes to show you that you'll never really stop learning Because when I took this project, like, yes, I'll be prompt certified and I'll just know it all. Like, that's how I thought. And then, like, now that I am certified, I'm like, there's still more to know. There's still times where I'm like, is this 100% right? Let me think about it. Let me try this. Like, you're always still, like, learning and trying new things. And I think being open to new things is important to learning, too.
1: Exactly. And, um, yeah, and I've had wonderful experiences been able to work with really talented colleagues and treat fabulous kids yeah We've had great families you know it was just a privilege, what a would privilege you say, to get to do it yeah
0: would you say that's the most interesting aspect of your career like all the different people you've met along the way
1: hmm. well <laughs> i don't know i don't know um i think i think part of what has kept me interested is, you know, that there have been new things to know and learn. And, um, intellectually it's been, been a good stimulation, you know, and to have to kind of push and think harder and read, read an article and, um, talk to other people. You know, I mean, I've, I've loved so many of the people I've gotten to know from this. So. I don't know what's most interesting. Yeah, just completely I mean,
0: all of it, maybe? <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe. maybe. all of it. The
0: whole, the journey, not the destination. Yes.
1: I would have to say for the longest time, you know, there were different times when, you know, kind of my husband sort of thought maybe it was time to, maybe I'd like to do a little less. And I did over, but it was years. I mean, really years into my career that, on clinically like on a weekly basis i would have some experience that was like you know discovering the new world you know i just felt like this big thing happened i was like oh and each time i'd you know be like i think i'm just starting to get good at this why would i give it up yeah and so you know i would say that sense of discovery finally started to slow down a little bit but that was that was a great motivator and you know anybody who's i just feel fortunate to have been in a position to do something that i have genuinely loved doing
0: absolutely i think that's key to like a happy life in general like (laughs) i think that's like you have to have that happiness like your career is such a big part of your life and like how you, I guess even how you see yourself, how the other people see you. And it's like, if you're not happy in your career, I feel like you're really going to feel it. And it's going to spill over into other aspects of your life personally. But yes. I mean, not saying that I like, I wake up every day and I'm like, yes, it's speech day, you know, like, like, okay, I still got to yeah, wake up, have my coffee, but you know, I definitely feel grateful that I have a career that you can learn so much. What would you say has changed in the field since you first started, Like from this- 1978 to whenever you officially so two
1: years ago um two years ago okay there we go almost two years ago um it i think what we said before there's more to know
0: more to know field
1: is bigger and and um i think it's really challenging to be a generalist but a few people still are Mm -hmm. and you know i found for myself over time you start to kind of trim away, you kind of figure out the things that are most appealing mm-hmm. and to you and work for your personality. Um, and there's, but there's so, so many people who have deep knowledge in so many areas of our field now that I don't really know very much about them, you know?
0: And, yeah. no, um, it's
1: great. So I think, that. right. You know, and sometimes it's your circumstances that dictate it. You know, I mean, I know, I know a little bit about AAC, but not like you do because you live a lot of that on a daily basis. Um, right.
0: And I don't even know as much as let's say people who only do AAC evals or only have or their hundred percent of their caseload is AAC. So there's like so many different levels it's just a specific topic, and like including AAC. Mm-hmm. What do you think has remained the same? Um,
1: I think in the schools, the issues are still very much Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Big caseloads, loads. lot to do, lot to figure out. Um, Enough time. A lot of demands on your time. A lot, of, a lot of peripheral things that interrupt you kind of having a flow because this yes. is you know, the way a school runs. You know that, yeah, well, now you, know, you get fired me. well, now, now you're really interrupted, but, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I had it my first year out, and the other years also, but my first year, I was in a different school system, and it was a system that had just barely started having services they had they had mm-hmm. not had these services the year but you know only right. for one year. And you were
0: like starting a speech.
1: Yeah, I was helping, helping to really start it. So there was, you know, tons of, tons of just gathering of information about the population. And I think I had an active caseload of, I want to say, seventy-five or eighty kids a week. What? And that's a lot. That was it. it was a, it was a bunch. And then and I had a waitlist in addition that put the total up around 120. Wow. And I wasn't the only person, I wasn't the only person in the school system. So, you know, but you know, there, there were just always lots of little caseload things like that, you know, that, that I think are challenging in the schools, but I, I have to say, I, I loved that work. It was a lot of fun to be in the schools. I enjoyed six years of it. And, uh, 6 years. It's, yeah, and I rec- I mean I I have a lot of respect especially for how you and your colleagues who work in the schools how you function and get it all done.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I don't know. I I've been to my 7th year now and sometimes I'm like the wor- the years just they've all faded together, you know. All, I'm like, oh, that was 2 years ago, that was 3 years ago, you know. I, oh, I, we did the Aladdin production 3 years ago now. Like in right. some ways it feels so long ago and then in other ways it feels like just yesterday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: i feel like working in a school you just like have to be on your toes and you have to like for me at least like i want to focus on the kids and i don't want to get wrapped up in any other like bureaucracy or drama or anything like that 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 happens i mean it happens anywhere let's keep it real
1: yeah but, well you know i, I was going to say about the things that are the same too is you know i was always trying to do things that made it made what the children needed relevant, you know, to the rest of their school lives and whether that was, you know, usually it ended up being consulting and bringing material and information to a classroom teacher, but I would have also, um, you know, probably, well, I don't know. I tried to keep it really, really functional. um, But I also thought there was really a place for the, the pullout and the separate <laughs> setting. And I thought, especially for some of the younger kids, your gardeners, I, I thought they needed a break from the classroom. And I thought they got a lot out of just going and having a chill 30 minutes with somebody where there was a little less going on and i <laughs> or thought it was really useful for them
0: yeah, i hear you individualized attention you know like targeting specific skills in a specific environment i mean
1: how can you argue that that's not good you know <laughs> well i mean i know there's some school philosophies that are different about that very
0: um, true very true i guess they argue it's not good but i mean the way i look at it is some skills they need some pull out to work on the skill and then you mm-hmm. have to generalize it to the classroom and then through the classroom, hopefully home, mm-hmm. you know, that's like, I feel like the ultimate goal, but you got to start somewhere. But in uh, the other hand, I know that budgets are an issue. Space is an issue. So it's like, we got to figure this out, everybody, you know, <laughs> and every school's different. Every school has their own culture and different personalities, just a lot. Just like this, right. type, like, pit of like like making a big pot of soup you know like is it a melting pot or <laughs> it's like that it's just right. like a lot happening
1: so it's like yeah.
0: strap on your boots and get in there get in there
1: well and I mean I have a lot of respect for for the work you guys do I know oh, that nice, it's yeah. you know that it's tough and
0: I uh, drank all my tea but let's get a cheers to the school-based SLPs and or
1: school-based just, SLP yeah there, there we, we go. go
0: clink shout out and nothing against non-school-based SLPs.
1: No, but I mean, I'm. sometimes school people get kind of a bad rap.
0: Sometimes they do. Thank you, Gail, for bringing and that
1: up. Sometimes I've known some who are to the lazier side. Yeah. But happens. but more and more, especially as I've done some training, a lot of training of some of your colleagues. Yes. Um. Well, in fact you sat in one of my classes but of course i have I, I have come away from those experiences with a lot of regard for how smart and motivated and willing um absolutely yeah colleagues are and so um new york city doe can yes represent it's really representing Yep. yes
0: This episode is brought to you by The Sensory Studio. The Sensory Studio is a pediatric private practice with two convenient locations in Staten Island, New York. Traditionally, The Sensory Studio offers school center and home-based speech and occupational therapy through private medical insurance. Right now, The Sensory Studio is offering teletherapy sessions for speech and occupational therapy through a simple email link to all New Yorkers. Please email them at info at the or call 718-979-5678 to reach their parent coordinator. Also check out the show notes for more information. And now back to the show. So what, speaking of New York city DOE and all those people who maybe are not yet working, right? What recommendations do you have for individuals in the earlier phases of their career?
1: Well, I really do have a little soapbox about this. Go for <laughs> it. Listen. I think I think you really... Um, I'm not saying people can't do it, but I think the rush to work independently, to have your private practice, uh, to be doing a lot of work, you know, maybe you have a structured school day, but you're seeing a bunch of early intervention cases after hours and things like that. That's, that's all well and good, but I really think you need a few years to ground yourself in a work setting that, with colleagues and supervision. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that could be a school setting. It could be a different kind of setting, but I, um, about how long has it been now? Maybe about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe when, um, at least in the New York area, early intervention really changed mm-hmm. and the, the way those pro and I worked under a much different system when I did early intervention.
0: Yeah. And you um, did it earlier before i started it right after that change. And I heard so much like all oh, the budget and this, and this used to be the day when you got like, I guess, way more money. Well,
1: um, Paper. Well, the- this was even before that, yeah, that changed when in new york um the the way that children in early intervention qualified for service was quite different, and individual programs existed, so I was part of a team of um, an interdisciplinary team and and we all worked full time for this organization oh, okay, and, and so we we all treated the same group of, you know, maybe there was more than one speech therapist and more than one teacher, but, you know, there was a lot of overlap. Um, and so you stayed with the so it was like, a, team. Yeah, and we had, you know, we had a team meeting for two or three hours once a week. Wow. And we went through all our cases. So we had a ton of support. And that's very different. And when, this, when the whole thing in New York changed, what I saw was people rushing to go work for these agencies that were paying well, but you're out there on your own. Yes. You showed up for your appointment and you had very limited contact with anybody else who was working with the child. And, um and so, I mean, really, if it's early in your career, you have so much to learn from everybody else. And why not put yourself in an environment with colleagues for a few years and really get some support, get your feet wet. Um, yeah,
0: really ground yourself, like you Really said. ground
1: like, yourself. And, and then, sure, look beyond that. So whether it's, a you know, some of the private clinics are terrific yes you know, some really nicely operated ones and then other ones are a little bigger and um
0: yeah even a Go school ahead.
1: even a school there's
0: a ton of people to learn from i mean the fact that you're on like that team and you're you know as the slp you're like that team approach and you're you know you're really working collaboratively you're learning you're going to get i think in a way a lot more than it's just you doing your therapy leaving you hanging talking to the mom coaching the mom and you leave where you could get like a full picture as a team like oh that's why he's toe walking exactly t oh that's why he hates the loud noises ot
1: you know this right i learned so much from the ot's and pts and i got I mean, so good at handling because i learned from them absolutely and, and i shout think
0: those t's and pts oh man We're gonna do a you bunch know. Of shout outs well yeah, and good, i mean drink your wine and eat those thin mints you know
1: I'm and the, not- the 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 teachers had terrific things, and the psychologists and the social Absolutely. workers. I I learned from all of them, but of the people I was hanging out with, really thinking about these clients, those OTs and PTs gave me so much knowledge that I could take and make my own. And um, and without that environment, you know that uh, I just. Felt really glad to have had that, and at you know then at a certain point things were different, and
0: yeah, and then you move on maybe to a different move on part of your career, right? Moving on actually, <laughs> so you're living now in the cor- in the epicenter of where the coronavirus is happening in Manhattan. We're gonna switch this, to this topic now. Okay, how are you staying healthy mentally and physically? Mm. I see you're drinking some red wine. So. I'm drinking
1: my wine. Um, that,
0: that counts as both mentally and physically healthy. So right. Wine, check. All
1: <laughs> right. A few cookies, a couple of kombucha in the afternoon, nice. um, wine at night. Wine at night. Um, well, one thing that's a little bit of an advantage is um, for me is, you know, I live in a uh, nice apartment building that's well managed and the staff have been really careful and they closed down our public areas like the gym and the playroom and the pool.
0: Mm, yeah. So um, you posted on that. Posted yeah.
1: But that was like well before we were, most people were really awakened to uh, right. how bad this is. And So we've already been protected from each other a little bit. I have a decent-sized apartment, so it's just my husband and me, and we can move around and not be in each other's way very much. Um, We get really good light because we have big windows and an open view. So I'm enjoying
0: the afternoon light too, actually. Right. This is I'm actually my the window that I get the most light out of is to my left and I have yeah. the plant there. And I, I don't know why I just get a kick. I really love opening up the blinds in the afternoon. Are you the
1: same way? Well, um, we have really big windows with no curtains. Yes. And okay. well, you're lucky I have a little window, but. And we also of- we also have a balcony. So if it ever nice. gets warm enough, um, we can actually it be outside and be out there. But even as it is, we can open the slider and um, let the air in. And so I think, you know, kind of the fresh air exchange. Once we got to the point where in my head I felt like we had enough food on hand, Mm -hmm. I was less worried about going out. So we do try Mm -hmm. to go out for a walk or a little something every day. And I've been, I also realized that sometimes we were going to the drugstore Kind of knowing they were out of the things that we might be inclined to buy, but you kind of go for the stimulation. Right. Let's just see what's on the shelves. Let's see what's there. And Let's just go explore. See. Well, you know, can't, Friday night. Let's. You yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go to a museum, so right or a Broadway uh, show. Right. So, but even now, we're really only going in, into a business if there is something important that we need. Yeah. So definitely. that's a, that's a change, um, but we're okay. And we're making, we're starting to make bigger use of social media, you know, had, had a meetup with my two brothers and sister and all of our spouses on Shout Sunday. Shout out to them. Yeah. And so it was, you know, it was fun yeah. and we, you know, they live in Pennsylvania, Delaware and Georgia. So we weren't going to see each other soon anyway. And right. it was just really Comforting to all be together. Our dad is in assisted living in Pennsylvania, and you know, even my brother, who's the one who lives very close to him, can't go see him, so so that's right. Um, so yeah, so those are those are things we're concerned about. but even though it's it's scary, dangerous right here, um, if you if you're doing the things that you're being asked to do and really, really regarding that very seriously it's okay I'm staying in I you know I wish I I could go out more but I do try to go out and walk and um, my Pilates studio is doing online streaming classes so I have been getting in generally two sessions a week with people I actually know that's great so that's nice and I could exercise a little more than I do but I'm still kind of in a sitting around phase um Got but it. but that that article that maybe you're going to put in the um show yes, notes yes is it
0: show notes uh there's an, there'll be an article that yes. brought to my attention
1: it's that- from um Harvard Business Review about about this whole thing actually being a grief experience yes and i'm I mean-
0: so glad you brought that up cuz we have uh some episodes coming up that do focus on grief so I'm excited that you brought this topic up.
1: Well, one of my SLP friends on the West coast read it. And also she said, you know, I've experienced trauma and grief, you know, like lots of other people have. Right. She said right now, I, for me, it's more trauma. Mm. And I'll probably get to the grief later, but I've, with this article um, I've, I found the grief aspects really resonated with me. And right. so, you know, talking about it, staying in touch with family. Um, you know, I, I FaceTimed with a good friend in the Atlanta area yeah. yesterday. We're, we're and human beings. We need that social
0: yeah. contact.
1: Right. You we know, feel yeah.
0: isolated.
1: You know, Go down know. to the lobby to say hi to the doorman every now and then. That's nice. Yeah. The so. grief is
0: because it's the loss of normalcy and it's like the change the fear of economic toll, the loss of connection. That's like that feeling of grief, that, mm-hmm. that loss of something, that loss of independence, right? There's so many losses within what's happening. Um, but yeah, definitely an interesting article. Um, my, uh, I have a student, a counselor who's going to come and talk all about grief. So we'll have an episode all about that.
1: <laughs> Great. yeah. look forward to it.
0: Yes. So I really, actually, do find interest in the topic of grief because so many of our um, feelings and, like, uh, so many of maybe of our disruptive behaviors can be coming from grief right, as a way to feel better about something. Um, so I do like to talk about grief. What else I like to talk about though is prompt. <laughs> so we just released the episode it's me and Kean and we're uh both prompt certified and we're like, yeah, we're drinking the juice and she's like more like we're like chugging the juice. I'm like, all right. All right. I'm so glad
1: you got to talk to her. I can't wait to hear that yes. episode.
0: Yes. It was a very informative about hearing impairments. I was just sitting there and listening, like, wow, I knew I knew this I knew this was in my brain somewhere, but she helped me access it. Uh-huh. That's right. So did how she, did,
1: did oh, she tell you did she tell you that I taught her intro class? You did come up, yes.
0: Yeah. We gave you a shout out in that episode. Oh,
1: okay. Well I need to listen then.
0: Yes. Episode eighty two. It's what's out right now. So anyway, how did you become involved with prompt?
1: Well, you know, prompt had- prompt training had been on my radar for many years and um, at ASHA conferences and other um, other events, there were, you know, different opportunities in the 90s to hear Deborah Hayden. And yes. I would see the, and I would attend those. And, and I could tell this was something, you know, big and good that I wanted to know, know more about how to do this and used the tactile input and understood the reasons and um
0: i remember seeing it as an undergrad um kathleen mulcahy just giving her another shout out Oh, i remember her there and prompting and i was just like amazed you know, and I was babysitting a child and he received services and his OT was like, Oh, you're studying school for speech. She's like, Oh, are you going to learn how to do that thing where you touch their face? She's like, that's so cool. You know? And I'm like, no, I, but I, I'm not, I can't do that. Cause I'm still like an undergrad, but I'm like, I do know what you're talking about. So that's even like, he was like, yeah, she's like, do you do that thing where you touch the face?
1: That's so cool. And the kids just say it. She's like, that's like magic. <laughs> I remember when, um, when that was when Kathleen was trained and everything, because I uh-huh. still lived on Staten Island. Then. Uh-huh, but anyway, to, to go to your question, um, you know, it. I kept seeing the courses advertised and, and I just kind of couldn't quite organize my life around making it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like leaving work for a three day. Th- well, and I think they, they used to kind of advertise it as a four-day class, but wow. it turned out that the fourth day was really the independent, the practicum project that's now, you know, set up quite differently. Yes. And so, um, anyway, eventually, I knew somebody who worked um, at one of the schools in uh, Staten Island who, with uh, one of the you know, more involved populations. And I was seeing one of her clients privately and the family, you know, he was, I hadn't worked with him too long, but the family was very pleased with the things I was doing. And, um, I, they started giving me credit for a couple things that I just thought, I don't think this is me. Mm. And I talked, I knew, I knew his therapist and I got her on the phone And I knew she'd been doing prompt and um, so she talked to me a little more about it. And I just thought, the changes that, that I'm getting credit for are actually due to to the prompt, I was really sure of it. And so I called my good friend, Lisa Olson, shout out to Lisa on Long Island. um, And I, I caught, we'd talked about it for a long time and, I called her up and I said, "We we are going to the next class. We are signing up for this, and we are going to do it." And so it was the end of January two thousand one, and we did. And, nice. And we okay. we put ourselves through the the two courses and got certified in a little more than a two year period. Which that's great. Well, it was you know it was what we needed to do at the time, but also we have as you know, a lot more mentoring support and that kind of thing. We were kind of on our own and mentoring each other, which is not really the same thing.
0: No, um, <laughs> it's great. Cause I had a speech buddy to go through the prompt process with Emily. Right. You, you right. know, you kind of mentored us a month apart. Right. So I started, yeah. she, she's so funny. She was like, I'm so glad we did it together. I'm so glad it really worked out the timing because imagine if we pushed it to this year and now we have the virus and, how are we going to prompt like video three, you know, via teletherapy, you know? I mean, I think exactly. I, yeah, I'm actually figuring out how to like prompt. I, I'm thinking I might start prompting myself so the kids can see or I'll prompt the air. No,
1: prompt the air. Prompt I would the prompt air. the air.
0: Yeah. All right, I'm going to prompt the air for mom. I just did it right now, but.
1: Yeah. So anyway, I just, I really thought it contributed something tremendous to my practice and to my knowledge and to, what I was doing and um, so by the time I then I was invited to become a prompt instructor so I went for that training in 2005 and uh, have been at it
0: ever since. Nice so as a clinician actually using prompt what would you say what did
1: you love about using prompts? Um, That I really understood Where the motor breakdowns were occurring in the client's system, right, and that I really had some pretty good strategies for intervening, and I loved the holistic nature of it. And I always felt like that had been one of the things I always did was understood the bigger person. And um, even though the motor speech stuff is the most fascinating thing that I could talk to you all night about, um, it. Seeing it within the context of not just that physical sensory domain, but understanding the social, emotional, and the cognitive linguistic, and how all this comes together. And knowing that even, you know, I believe Emily was the one who used the phrase the other day on Facebook about using keeping your prompt brain active, even if you're not able to physically touch. And that's one of the really beautiful things about this system is that it that whole approach yeah that whole approach and the dynamic systems theory and and how everything works together and you know as now that I have young grandchildren you really do get to see some typical development and how true that is you know how a change in one area makes everything else blossom and change on its own and that's um so I, I, just, I think we um, have to have you back for
0: like a motor speech episode. Maybe we'll just have, because I get so many motor speech questions and I'm like, I need to see the child before I can like, you know, because if you're telling me like, oh, they can't do this, but I'm like, oh, but I need to see what they're doing with the rest of their face, you know? So I can't mm. always like answer questions just like blindly like that, you know? No, just like a quick little like, oh, what do you think? So um would love to have like, Some kind of, I don't know, motor speech episode we talk about. Well, maybe we will. We might have to do that, Gail. All right. So, what about, what did you love about teaching prompts? Like like
1: intro? Well, I really enjoy teaching the classes. I just, yeah. They are fun for me. I will say they are physically demanding, they're very exhausting, and, um, Over time, we've really made an effort within the organization to make the the learning experience um, more productive, better, more efficient for the participants. Um, I really enjoy having the opportunity to bring something that I'm excited about to other people. And I really enjoy getting to meet people all over the country. yeah you get and, to and and, and community find community. out what great clinicians there are and how hard working they are and um and you know just sharing this with them is it's really a fun thing to do and my i guess one of the things i love about being an instructor is my instructor colleagues who i've gotten very close to over the years and um they are truly a special group of people, and we've together had just really important experiences in our lives. And we love it when there's an opportunity for us to teach together because we always keep teaching and learning from each other. Right, you like feed
0: off of each other, you know. Yeah, like the and uh, the minds, like right, and
1: <laughs> um, and you know what, being. Being in this role also has helped me stay really current on a lot of technology Definitely. and problem solving and uh, communication skills. Communication, yeah, and also, uh, you know, like thinking on your feet, but also, you know, and, and just sort of, you know, you encounter challenges and problems as you're teaching a course. Sometimes it's the physical environment, sometimes it's Technology sometimes it's the technology, sometimes it's the room is really hot and everybody's cranky and everyone's um, hungry right before lunch. Yeah, and all those things you have to just sort of Everyone. deal with and make it make it a happy time anyway.
0: Yeah, and- no, I took your class, it was great. I Me and Emily, we took your class together and after your the um not intro, the other one. Why am I bridging. Bridging. Em- bridging. Bridging. Emily pushed me. She was like, you know, we're going, we're going to get certified. I'm like, you think so? No. She's like, come on. We're like halfway done at this point. You know, we just did. Right. So And there you go. And you did it. I did do it. I didn't think I could do it, but I did it. Woo-hoo. So, and you were, so now you were, which brings us to speed. Cause so how we got to know each other even more is I met you at the bridging course and then, you know, we kept your information. And then I, when I was finally ready, like, three years after I met you with bridging, I was like, hey Gail, I'm ready. Can you be my mentor? So um do you have any tips for those who are mentees and even other mentors? Well or maybe for the mentees what the people that you
1: well let me backtrack a minute first also because mentoring is something that I feel really strongly about in our field. Yes. And it's it's sort of been a passion project of mine for a long time in that in all the years before i had a private practice um, when i worked for other organizations i never had a supervisor i reported to directly who was trained in my field Mm
0: -hmm. never
1: so i was always looking for people who could help me and it wasn't until i got To prompt that, I had people who actually knew more than I did about a lot of these things and uh, about something I really wanted to learn. So, people were very kind and helpful to me. And I have, well, before I prompted, I did work with lots of CFs in different work settings and um, was really pretty committed to giving them a beneficial experience that they could
0: really grow
1: grow from and when i mentor in prompt i can say that i um i really understand how challenging it is to get good at this and the things that you need to be able to bring um and so somebody who wants to be mentored does have to be able to um a little bit put aside their ego and and just sort of let it happen
0: your ego Um, is not your amigo you know right right here and ready to learn so this other person when you like send a video or short clip of your session to your mentor and they find like 10 different things you can't be like what isn't that the whole point of the relationship you know
1: (laughs) right well you know you try to you try to make it happen in a yeah. good way. I know. But I'm like just um, tell me.
0: Tell me straight. Tell me the facts. What just right. Tell me what I did bad? You don't even have to tell me what I did good. I don't even care.
1: <laughs> like you know, it's like, "Well, no, but that's that's not the way to think about it." I know, anyway, um, and see, I don't know if I have tips exactly, but I think it's an important function and you know, when you have to teach somebody else, you learn that thing better.
0: That's very true.
1: So, um, that's, you know, right now I'm also helping it's sort of a mentoring role, but um, we're training some additional instructors. And so I am somebody who's guiding one of these individuals through her process. And, um, and, you know, the whole experience is really different than, than it was 15 years ago when I was trained to be an instructor. So, you know, that's, um, that's another opportunity for me to keep explaining and talking about the prompt content and how, and thinking about how do we teach that to other people? And so.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I don't know if I answered your question no, about sure. tips, but I think, and I think it when you have experience in something and anything in the field, you really need to pass that on, yes. you know? Um, other people helped you and I I, I really feel like i one of the reasons I'm doing this now and not treating kids is I'm not willing to treat enough children in a week to have a very big impact but if I can work with other clinicians and maintain relationships with people like you you know and you and I still have clinical conversations absolutely um, you know that that extends my influence a lot more than if I were seeing right. two or three kids a week. Exactly. And, um, yeah. that's and so it's a better use of my time too.
0: Definitely, Absolutely. You're working smarter, not harder. I like it. Oh yeah. You're that's what I'm, I'm all about <laughs> that life. It's like, how can we make this a little easy? Nice. Gail just polished off the wine. Beautiful. So yeah, enjoy that. So, Gail, you could find more information about her. She is on the Prompt website, which I'll include in the show notes, but prompt.org, and you'll find her under Instructors, Gail Maryfield. Right. So, Gail, you know the show. You Thank you for being a listener, by the way. Um, do you have any motivational quotes you could leave us off and the listeners off with?
1: Why, yes. Yes. Interesting that you asked that. Right. Um,
0: I know you like quotes the way I like quotes.
1: Why, well, I have – I have one that's appropriate for the wine aspect of this program. Oh, great. Program.
0: Oh, a double one. Um, okay.
1: And there's a quote from Benjamin Franklin. I don't know if he really said it or not, but he's, it's attributed to him. So it could be true. In wine, there is truth. In beer, there is freedom. In water, there is bacteria. <gasps> nice. Nice. So um, one of my own little mantras is, you know, everything matters but almost nothing matters as much as you think it does so
0: very true i feel like you live your life that way that way and you mentor that way like all right you know don't be yourself over that
1: that. it is important you know it is important but so they were sick oh well you know we're going to move on from that um and the difference between being this is also out of my own head but um the difference between being just an okay clinician and a really good one does not demand a tremendous amount of additional effort. You can you can go from being like, all right, to mm. really impressive, and you don't have to work that much harder at it. You just have to get yourself to do it. And you know so those are the things I was thinking about oh oh this one there's I do have one really important quote and I've really lived by this one my whole life ever since I read this in a yoga book so you'll like it because it came from a yoga book yeah when when the student is ready the teacher will appear and I think people come into our lives sometimes to teach us something that we need to know so I always consider our readiness for this particular learning but when the student is ready, the teacher will appear.
0: That's very true. I love that, Gail. I feel so like namaste. I feel like we should be. We should namaste. Namaste. I'm going to end the episode on that. And that's the end of the episode, everyone. Thank you so very much for listening. We look forward to hearing from you. And also, if you can leave us a rate and a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it.